And God, we know that there's nothing that can separate us from you, that you tore the veil and you created a way for us to be your friends again. And Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, because we want to know you, we want relationship with you, we want to be your friends. Father, we thank you that you have done this, that you have made a way for us to have relationship with you. Father, we exalt you, we praise you, we lift you up. We say you are worthy, that you are great, you are awesome, is what we say, God. Father, one of the things that keeps us apart, though, sometimes when we go through life, is our brokenness, our sin, our mistakes, our issues, our struggles, our weaknesses. And God, we're just going to take a moment, each of us right now, individually, to go to you and to be able to ask forgiveness, to put all the things that creep into our lives that don't belong there, to give them over to you, to turn them over to you. Let's just take a moment, each of us individually, and pray, and just turn those things over to you. Let's just do that, each of us right now, individually. Father, we just, we just call upon you and ask you to forgive us. Forgive us of those things. Lord, and we thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer. We thank you for the gift of abundant life, the gift of eternal life. We thank you that we have a part to play. Rather than just living a life that doesn't have any meaning, just working for our money, working for our job, working for our career, that, Father, we actually are called to be your ambassadors into the world. And so it is our prayer that we can do that. Lord, let us take hold of that. Father, we ask that you would just send your Holy Spirit out in front of us, giving us wisdom and opening up hearts as we share your good news with other people. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Well, we are going to do a workshop today, and I can tell by services that the first service was energized by this, and a lot of you are afraid of this, and so that's okay. We're going to have fun. Uh, I'm going to mention it again, but there is a live mic, and Matt, are you my MC this morning for this service? Okay, so if you have a question, we're going to take questions. I know that a lot of you are like, dude, this is church. There's, you can't ask questions in church, but this is, that's, that's fake church. Real church, dialogue. So if you have questions, please feel free to ask during the service at any time. Let's go ahead and walk down through this. In the Name of Love is our series. This is what we've been working on for the last couple of weeks. Our four-week series is do we really love people? Do we really love them enough that we are willing to tell them and share with them what God has done for them, how much He loves them? Are we willing to take that step, or are there things that hold us back from doing that? Our strategy is this. The first week... We talked about the fact that God loved us enough to tell us. I mean, we spent a whole week. I put you guys to sleep. Good 45-minute solid nap here um, at your service that you regularly attend, telling you that God reached out to us. And in fact, everyone sitting here has rejected not only God, but someone at some point in their lives when they came to you and told you about what God has done. We all do it. And so it is normal for people to be a little bit skeptical for people to want to try it out for themselves 
to find out whether or not the gospel really is true and whether or not God really is who he says that he is. We talked about this issue because we looked at some studies the first week that basically said that 80% of Christians never share their faith with anyone, right? Now, this is on average. And this is terrible. Why is this terrible? Why is this a catastrophe? Because there are many, many people out there in the world who have no idea what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They have no idea, as we talked about the third week, because they're looking at our niceness rather than anything else, and they're basing their view of God on that. And so 80% of Christians never tell other people about Jesus. We also talked about that 95% of people never share so as to lead someone to God. Now let me say two things about this. We talked about there's two reasons that people give to not tell other people about God. Number one, is they, they say they don't, the first excuse, number two on the ranking, number two excuse is that they don't know what to say. We're going to solve that this morning completely, okay? We haven't solved it already. Number one is they are afraid of rejection. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that most people that you talk to are not going to reject you. They may say, I don't want to choose to know God. I don't want to be religious. I don't want this or that or the other. But most of the people, even in the Bay Area that I talk to, they don't say, get out of my face, you religious nut, or anything like that. They're not mean. They're just, as we're going to talk about here, they just need to go through the process. They need to understand why God is important, and other than just being generically nice to him. Okay? So here's the thing. Let me just mention this. How many of you have been to Disney World? Who's been to Disney World in here? We'll include Disneyland. Who hasn't been to Disneyland or Disney World that's not from maybe another country just moved here? Who has not been? Okay, are you kidding me? Oh, that's right. Liz has never been. That's right. She was the one who raised the hand in first service. His mom. Okay, so here's the thing. At some point in your life, you've got to go to Disneyland or Disney World, right? I mean, you just got it. If you win the Super Bowl, you got to go to Disney World. Same thing with this. You just got to do it, right? It's one of those things you got to do. Listen, some point in your life, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've got to to see someone come to know Jesus with you. You know why? Because that is going to be the most awesome experience probably of your entire life, or it's going to be one of the top two or three. Listen, uh, and I can only share, I was talking in the first service, I can only share this story for a couple more years, but, you know, Bridget was born in our bathtub, right? My second child, because we didn't make it to the hospital. And it was awesome because, you know, she just popped out right there, and, and it was Noel and me and, and Noel's mom, and that was it. It was, it was really awesome, right? I mean, to be there and literally be 100% involved, regardless of my wife says, be there 100% involved in the birth of our child is really awesome, right? I mean, it is an incredible experience. And you know what? Many Christians will go their lives never having the experience of seeing a child be birthed again for the Lord, to never be born again and to have a relationship with God. So please, do not go your entire life and not be a part of that experience because you are missing probably one of the greatest blessings that God gives people here in the world. I know that we watch TV and the blessing is supposed to be a Jaguar black with, you know, not sunroof, forget that, convertible, right? That if we give money and that's what God's going to bless us with. But you know what? That's not a blessing. Being able to be there at the birth of a brand new child of God, that, my friends, is a great blessing. So I'm not saying that to guilt you or make you feel bad. I'm saying that to motivate you to get out there because when someone makes that decision and you're there and you can pray with them, it is an awesome, awesome thing. All right, let's go ahead and do the recap. I know everyone's a little apprehensive or they're wondering if they're going to get a chance to sleep this morning um, because we're going to do a workshop. But second week we talked about the stakes. The stakes are rather high because if we follow 
God, then God removes the mistakes and the errors from our lives. He forgives us of our brokenness. He forgives us of our sin. We are able to have a relationship with him. But as we talked about the second week in Mark, that if we don't, if, if a person does not come to God in this lifetime, that all of their mistakes and all their brokenness that God will have to judge them on and they will stand condemned before him. Not because God is the condemner, but because of our own mistakes and our own brokenness. We don't want someone to experience that. There's no one that you know, even your boss, no, 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 that you want to experience God's judgment upon them. So we need to see people come and get right with God now um, in this lifetime rather than the next lifetime. So we talked about that as, that week. Last week we talked about the part we play. We talked about the fact that God does not call us to be generically nice people. Being nice has nothing to do with being a Christian. Well, not really. I mean, it has something to do. We don't want to be jerks, right? But really, generic morality can damage the cause of Jesus more than probably anything else. Why? Because if you ask people if they're a nice person, everyone says yes. Are you a nice person here today? Who's, who is a nice person here today? Every one of you is a nice person. I mean, if I ask you to on a, on a sheet, are you a nice person? Nobody's going to say, no, I'm a mean jerk. Not many people. A few, but not many, right? Everyone thinks themselves as a nice person. And when you walk into the office, you sit in the cubicle next to them um, on Monday, and you are a Christian who goes to church, and you are a nice person just like them, and that's all they know about who God is, then they're going to say, why do I need to do that? I'd rather sit home and watch football. Because I can be a nice person watching football just as they can be a nice person in church. There's no point in me going to church, and therefore, they think there's no point in them having a relationship with God. So if you're just a generically nice person and you think that somehow that's going to help people come to know God, you're actually probably leading them in the wrong direction more than anything else. All right, let's talk about this a little bit further. Today we're going to do a workshop. Um, yes, you're going to be able to talk in church. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. From this point on, if you have questions, just raise your hand and my, where's my beautiful MC? There he is, Matt Faust. Awesome. There, oh, yes, standing ovation. All right. Matt is going to walk around the room, and he's going to have the mic. Uh, Chuck was my beautiful MC in the, Vanna uh, in the first service. And uh, if you have a question, just lift up your hand. We'll take questions anytime during it. I'm hoping it'll be a dialogue. If we get too many questions, uh, which we won't because you guys look like deer in the headlights, uh, then, uh, then does everybody know what that means, deer in the headlights? Okay. Uh, you guys look like deer in the headlights, so if we get really too many questions, we'll cut it off. But we're going to walk down through this. Let's see what the Bible says. We're going to just read the verse we did last week. It is still really applicable this morning. This is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians, great verse on this. And all of this, meaning everything that God has done for us, salvation, all that stuff, is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, um, which is this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so here we're talking about this issue of pleading with other people in love and humility for them to come back and know God. Let's talk about preparation. Step one on your handout. You want to take your handout? Here it is. I printed it real big this morning. On the back, you've got plenty of white space so you can take notes. Okay, good. Everyone grab a pen or pencil. There should be one in the seat pocket in front of you. Let's talk about this issue of preparation. A um, couple ideas that we're going to talk about. Uh, it is 
if someone says to me, well, pastor, you know, I don't need to prepare. I just need to go and be able to say this, that, and the other. Um, that's true. We can do that. But it helps to be able to prepare some of these things so that we might be able to go out and be more ready and more able to communicate God's truth to other people. Let's talk about some steps. First of all, we must make opportunities. We must make opportunities. Now, this is really, really important because this is where a lot of us just stop right here. Because a lot of us have this idea of, well, if they want to know God, they know I'm a Christian, they go, I know I go to church, they're going to come up to me and say, how do I know God? How many times has anybody ever done that in any of y'all's life? Regularly? Every day? Every week? Not very often. Hey, you know what? Like, I'm a pastor, I wear a fancy hat and do fancy things, not really, but uh, no one ever comes to me and asks me that question either. Very, very rarely does anybody come to me. Why? Because we're too busy focused on our jobs, our careers, our family, sports, Little League, all these other things. These other things take away. And so people are out there, they want to know, many of them would like to know in a very simple, non-religious way, non-churchified way, how they can be right with God. But the problem is they don't know who to ask, and they're not necessarily out there thinking about who to ask either because they're just living their lives. So the thing is that we must make opportunities. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> I know a lot of you are like me, and you're introverts. I'm an introvert. I know some of you will find that hard to believe, perhaps. But I'm an introvert. I don't really like to, I don't go, I'm not gregarious outside of church or anything like that. And so for me, it is not normal for me to necessarily strike up conversation with people. When I ride on the airplane by myself, I sit next to someone, and I'm reading a book, or I'm working on the computer. And if Douglas's personality rules, I know I'm talking about my third, self, third person, sorry about that. But if my personality rules uh, the day, then they'll start, they'll be like, so how's the weather in, uh, in whatever we're going? And I'll be like, I don't care about the weather. Why are you asking me this? I don't know. And I'm typing and reading and that sort of thing. But you know what? If I do that, that's a missed opportunity. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that God brings a lots of opportunities. Why? Because all the time people engage us whether we realize it or not. Maybe at the, we're at the gym and someone asks us to spot them, you know. Yeah, they need a spotter, but they're open to conversation with you. You know, maybe we're at Starbucks and somebody has to sit at the table with us and they're like, hey, how's it going on? What do you do for a living, you know, or whatever. You know, that's an opportunity. If we look throughout our lives, there's plenty of opportunities to speak the good news of Christ to people, but we have to take it. If we don't take it, we fail to be God's ambassadors and we're telling people that, Basically, being a Christian is being generically nice. Now, here's the thing. So we have to look for these opportunities. Let's talk about a couple other preparations. Um, by the way, oh, I'll cover that in a second. Number two, we need to pray strategically for two things, open hearts and wisdom. This is the thing about open hearts. We want to pray that God will bring people into our lives who have an open heart to the gospel, okay? Um, this is just asking God to pull down those barriers that, of, of frustration, of life, of issues, of struggle, so that God may be able to speak into their lives, you know? Basically, we're saying, God, get their hearts open so that when you speak into their lives, that they will listen, right? Now, this is really critical because the Bible says that we're to pray fervently for um, anything that, that is a part of his plan for our lives, and so we want to do that. Second thing is we need to pray for wisdom. We need to say, God, give me the words to say so that I may be able to speak well your truth to other people. Now, here's the thing. If you don't do it, it doesn't make your sharing your faith less effective, but you want to use every tool at your disposal. You want to be able to tell people, look, 
um, when you're sharing, you want to be open to what God's Spirit is leading you to say. I mean, and by the way, a lot of this preparation stuff becomes second nature. Today, I mean, when I was younger, not so much, but today, when I share the gospel or I tell people what Jesus has done in my life or can do in their life, I'm automatically just praying because it's second nature. I'm like, Lord, give me the words to say. And a lot of times I say, Lord, if you are true, make yourself known to this person. Now, I know some people are like, whoa, why do you say that if you're true, right? Because I'm fervently saying, come on, God, do this. This person needs you. This person needs you. I'm sort of, in a way, a humble person, humble, microscopic man, challenging God. Come on, God, show up here and do something, you know? The Bible's full of examples like that. So we want to pray for people. We want people, we want God to intercede. Remember that when we talk about God to other people, it's not us. It has to be God that opens their lives. If we are the ones who convince them that God is real, we have failed. We have failed because they have to take hold of God's truth for themselves. Uh, third thing is that sharing is a process, not an event. Now, here's the thing that's really, um, really critical, really critical in the preparation stage here. Here's our coworker. They say, can we go get coffee and talk about life issues? And you're like, all right, I've been praying about this. I could tell this person about who God, what God's done. It's awesome, right? And w- so the person comes and you're talking to them and they're talking to you and you're like, so, Jesus. They're like, whoa, dude, I just wanted coffee, not talk about religious stuff, right? And you're like, oh, man, it didn't happen. But the problem is sharing our faith is a process, not an event. Now, if you're raised in a Protestant tradition, Pentecostal, Baptist, uh, you know, uh, certain degree, Presbyterian, Methodist, that sort of thing. If you're raised in or watched it on TV or something like that, then we get this sense that making a decision for Christ is this super event, Okay. And it can be an event. But when we share our faith with people, most time it's a process. You know, we introduce them to who God is, and then we give them time to think about it, and then ask questions. I mean, all of you, I'm sure, with maybe just a very few exceptions, when you came to know Jesus and and have relationship with him, there was that, even though you may have raised your hand in service, there's still a process by which you're growing closer to him, asking questions, figuring out doubts, and all that sort of thing. A lot of people do that on the front end. Some do it on the, you know, afterwards. But this is normal. There's going to be a process. A lot of us Christians, we get the idea that we tell someone about God or what God has done in our lives, and immediately they have to say yes or they have to say no. But a lot of people, I mean, honestly, most people I share the gospel with are going to say what? Not yes, not no, but what? Come on, we'll get you guys talking here in a minute. Maybe, right? Or not today, or let me think about it, or that works for you, but I don't know if it'll work for me. Those are all just not no's, those are all generally just maybes, or we'll see about it, or let me put this off till tomorrow, because I don't want to deal with it today. But it's a process, right? I mean, if I share, if I invite someone to church and they say no, it doesn't mean I'm never going to invite them to church again. I'm going to do what? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to figure out what I can do to continue to communicate the gospel with that person, right? So I'm going to see it as a process, not an event. Um, the church I pastored for here, I was the pastor of adult ministries at Grace Community Church in outside New York City, and um, large church. And um, the lead pastor of that church uh, was kicked out of his house at 16 for becoming a Christian. His dad was a terrible atheist, abusive, whatever guy, and kicked him out at 16. And uh, he basically worked for two years, lived around town and um, small town, and then went paid his way to got his into college and stuff and and so 
basically, he shared the gospel with his dad for 50 years before his, his dad became a believer about a year before he died. 50 years! That's a process. That's not an event, right? But if we love people enough, we're willing to share with them for 50 years if it takes. Look, there's a lot of people in my life, relatives and stuff, where I've been sharing for over 20 years now. Actually, this year will be 20 years. Sharing with them for 20 years. And you know what? It's a process, and I'll tell you why. Because some of them were horrible atheists also. Just hate God and don't want to have anything to do with Him. And you know what? After 20 years, they're like, yeah, God's okay. I'm not really accepting Him yet, but He's okay. Well, that's a huge step for some of them. Huge step for some of them. So we have to see that talking about faith is going to be a process. By the way, it's natural for it to be a process. You know, here's the thing. People want to choose God and need to choose God based on their own decisions. You know, ladies, you know how you convince your husbands that an idea that you had is really their idea? You know, hear whispering in my ear, oh, yeah, honey, we should go to the opera. I would love that. You're right. Awesome. Right? And so I feel like it's my idea, and so we do it, right? And so the thing is, is that people also need it to be their idea. You can tell all day long to people about God, but ultimately they got to be the one to decide. And they're, they're going to want to be the one to decide. They don't want someone else. They want to choose for themselves. But by the way, that is the best possible way. So sharing is a process, not an event. Finally, on the preparation, we need to listen, and we need to listen for sour notes. Hey. Here's the thing. Nothing says love like what? Talking all about yourself to someone and then not listening to them. That's, that's not very loving, is it? And the problem is a lot of people have a stereotype, whether it's accurate or not, of Christians who just want to tell them what to believe and then they just don't want to talk about it anymore. By the way, how many of you have ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door before? Okay, now let me be clear here. I know in the first service this elicited a lot of really weird looks, and I'm going to get some emails about this. Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians, okay? They fall without, outside of Orthodox Christianity. Now, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, okay? We may debate things like different issues and stuff, but if you go into any one of those churches, the Jesus that they're talking about is the correct Jesus. The God they're talking about is the correct God, okay? Now, there's bad churches in those, bad churches in Baptist, bad churches in Pentecostal, bad churches in Catholic, bad churches in Orthodox. We get the debate. We're not going to do that. The point is, I can walk, it is possible for me to walk into a Catholic church, Orthodox church, Baptist church, Pentecostal church, doesn't matter, and it is possible for me to become a believer in Jesus. Why? Because the, at least the correct idea is there. How deep it's buried down, that's a debate for another time. You cannot do the same thing in Jehovah's Witness church, okay, because it's not a Christian church. But here's what they do. Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, and they say what? Knock, knock, knock. Hey, can I share with you for a moment about how Jesus is king or whatever, right? And you're like, okay, cool, you know, come on in. I mean, I'm bored, whatever. And, and they come in, and they talk to you for a few minutes. You don't want to be rude. They talk, 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 and you say, well, I have a question. And what do they do? They answer your question. But has anybody ever said, well, can I share with you what I believe about God from the Bible? How many have ever done that? What do they do immediately? Well, okay. But in general, but what do they do after, after that? Usually they what? They leave. That's right. Usually they leave. Now, if you have a, a particularly uh, 
uh, hostile, I mean not hostile, but particularly uh, driven ones, you know, they will. But in my, in my situation, as soon as they find out like I'm a pastor, they just leave. They, they, they just leave. And so, the th- but they don't, you know, they don't, leave gra- they don't leave gracefully, at least in my experience, right? They just leave. They say, okay, well, here's your watchtower, see you later. But how long, how, what kind of, I mean, why would I ever choose be a Jehovah's Witness? Because they didn't even let me, uh, you know, argue my idea or talk about my idea. You know, as Christians, we have to listen to other people. Why? Because first of all, listening is loving them. And God calls us to love them really is very, very critical. Very, very critical in this. If we're not listening to them, there's no opportunity to really be able to tell them what God has done. Because first of all, it's rude. But second of all, it should be a dialogue. They want to know about God. They don't want you to inform them your view of God. They want to know what the Bible says so they can make a conscious, good decision on their own part. Yeah, their sinfulness is going to block that in part, but they still want to know. And so the thing is, we've got to uh, listen to them and allow them to talk. You know, one of the best strategies for sharing your faith is just ask people, what do you believe about God? And then they'll sort of say, oh, God's like this thing, and like if I light a candle, I feel spiritual. And then after like a minute, they don't know what else to say. The average person doesn't because they've never really given it much thought. And you're like, man, that's cool. And then the other person's like, well, well what do you believe about God, right? Because they want to know. They're not used to someone asking and not informing them why they're wrong, right? And just then you just share. You're not telling them why they're wrong because... <coughs> You're just telling them what the Bible says, and then they can choose for themselves. Listen, you also have to listen for sour notes, because if you go to someone and you say, listen, you know, this is what God did in my life, and they're like, well, okay, that's really cool, but you know what, I just, I I don't want God right now in my life. That's not the signal for keep telling them about God. (laughs) That's the signal for what? Well, they're saying right now that something's the matter. So ask them because you love them. What's the matter? Well, what's going on in your life right now that's keeping you away from God? And then the problems are going to come out. And if you love that person, you'll listen. Not just because you want to inform them later why they're wrong, but because you love them and you want them to know that God loves them as well. Right? And so what happens is we listen for sour notes because those sour notes will tell you where people are at and why they're hesitant to know God. You know, uh, this is an embarrassing story, but it's about me, so I can tell it. Um, when I was younger, um, like as in a lot younger, uh, when I was like high school, college, and that sort of thing, um, I didn't realize that when you ask a lady out to coffee or something like that, that women work differently than men. And like if they're working, that's not a good time to ask them out because they're always going to tell you no, right? Because they're not thinking about that stuff. They're thinking about their job. They're not like men, Okay. And so I would go to a girl who's working at the coffee shop or whatever and say, hey, by the way, you want to go out sometime? And she's like, no. Now, maybe it's not just because of me being ugly and whatever. Maybe if I'd asked her another time, I would have got a different response because maybe that's when she's thinking about it, right? It's the same way here because if you go to the 7-Eleven and the guy's back there and he's counting change and he's taking the orders and, and paying for, for the gas and, you know, trying to help the people and you're like trying to pay for a Snickers bar and at the same time say, hey, do you know Jesus? Of course you're going to get a bad response because the person's not at a place where they can listen and have constructive dialogue. That's why you've got to look for opportunities. You've got to look for opportunities where people are listening and can be a part of the conversation and not you just inform them. 
okay? So listen to them and listen for sour notes. All right, that's the end of preparation. Any question on preparation? Any question on preparation? Vanna is standing by. All right, let's talk about choosing the approach, or you can use all three. Number one, invite them to church, okay? Now, last week, someone um, came to me and said, Pastor, you're always negative about church. You're always like, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. Sometimes I do get on that because I find so many people come in week in and week out, most guests, and I'll talk to them after two minutes, and they're, I shared this in first service too, and they're like, Pastor, I don't go to church. I know God's not, right, not happy with me. And I'm like, well, you need to get relationship with God first. Then we'll worry about the church thing. You know, and the truth is church is really critical. It is absolutely critical for our faith development. God calls us to be a part of a local body of believers, and that doesn't mean, you know, just Easter and Christmas. By the way, if you don't come to church, it's hard to invite people to church, which means you're missing lots of opportunities to share with a lot of people. So church is really important. The problem with church, though, is that most people you meet, or a lot of people you meet, will believe that church is tied to them being right with God. They think they have to do something to know God. We want them to understand that they have to choose to know God and that then they'll want to come to church. But like I just said, it's a process, right? Because someone will come, they'll pray, and they'll accept Christ as their Savior, and they'll know God, they'll be friends with Him. That doesn't mean they're going to show up at church every single Sunday, right? Because it's a process whereby they're learning to be more and more what God calls them to do and to be, who that God calls them to be. All right, let's talk about some advantages. Here's the advantage. Number one, it's easy, right? I mean, you, all you have to do is say to somebody is, hey, come to church with me, right? So, you know, somebody's, you know, trimming the, cutting down a tree in your yard or cutting the bushes, and you're like, hey, man, dude, that was awesome. You did a good job, right? And they're like, oh, thanks, man. Uh, here's the money. All right, cool. So, uh, so man, do you go to church anywhere? Just, I'm just curious. No, I'm not really so much into the religious thing. Well, hey, dude, you know, we got, if you haven't been in a while, you need to check it out. It's really cool. I mean, we, you, we got continental breakfast. You can have some breakfast. Come in eat the breakfast during the message. We got, like, guitars, and, you know, the, the, the guy talking is not too boring. It's a lot of fun. Come, come on, you come with me. We'll have fun, right? And I may say, no, say, okay, I'll catch you later. Next time you see him, hey, man, come on, you know, come on back. And so it's easy because it doesn't, it's not really difficult. Here's the thing. It also has a high rate of success. We talked about this last week, that about 60 to 80% of people will say yes if you ask them, but there's two things about the how. Number one is that it has to be real friendship, okay? You cannot ask them because you have a quota to fulfill, a la the Jehovah's Witness. You can't ask them because you don't really care about them, but you just want them to come to church because your pastor told you to. You actually have to care about the people, and you have to be friends with them. But God has called you to do that. He's called you to love them, and so just being able to love them a little bit will make it possible for them to be able to choose to come to church. The other thing is you have to emphasize common ground. Listen, there are a lot of people, especially in the Bay Area, who are deathly afraid of church. If you didn't know that, you need to wake up and smell the coffee because there are people who are afraid. They think that we sacrifice animals in here, seriously, by the way that you would talk to some people. They are deathly afraid that if they come in, they will look the wrong way, dress the wrong way, act the wrong way, and be embarrassed and told that they're going to hell because of that. They will. You know, when we go around at Easter time and we hand out, hand, you know, invite people, uh, we just leave it on the doors, little hanger cards. 
um, and invite them to Easter services. And um, invariably, there will be a few people out in the yard, and they'll be like, hey, man, what are you handing out? And if I say, we're inviting people to church for Easter, guess what reaction I get? Very hostile, very negative. So I don't want that. Don't even bother putting it on my door. But you know what? Same person. If I say, well, we're inviting people to an event at Easter. They're like, oh, cool, well, give me one. And they'll look at it, and it's big letters, Barriessa Valley Church. They'll be like, okay, cool, yeah, I'll think about that. Yeah, okay, cool. Why is it that one word has such a negative reaction, especially here in the Bay Area? Because, yeah, mindset, culture, we talk, yeah, we'll talk about culture in a minute. But the thing is, is that people are afraid of church, especially in the Bay Area, okay? What you have to do if you want to invite someone to church is let them know that we don't sacrifice animals or babies, and more importantly, that there is a common ground there. You know, I always emphasize the fact that the food, I always emphasize the fun that we have. You know, I tell them, look, you can come sit and hang out with me, you know, which sometimes is not true because i got to be up here, but try to, you know, I'm like, sort of hang out with you. You know, um, we just, you emphasize common ground. People want to know that they can go somewhere and it not be an intense social situation. Look, if I hand out random addresses to everyone here this morning, uh, random San Jose address, and told you go to that address, all of you, with the exception of one or two special folks, will go into that, knock on the door, or go to that address with a little bit of fear and trepidation. You'll be like, I wonder who's here. I wonder what's going on. Why am I going to this place, right? Well, magnify that by a factor of like 10, and that's the way people feel about church. But if you build common ground with them and you listen to what they're saying, you'll hear why they're, what their fear is, and you can explain it to them why that fear may not be valid for this particular church, okay? So you want to do those two things. Listen, uh, inviting them to church is easy, and it has a high rate of success, but you just need to keep that in mind. Second of all, you've got to sh- another way is to share your story. The advantage of sharing your story is that there is no rejection. There's no rejection. For those of you that are afraid of rejection, when you tell people, God did this in my life, they can't say, no way, dude. Uh-uh, I know what God did in your life, and he didn't do that. that they can't say that, right? There's no rejection. You tell someone, yeah, God changed my life. The, at the worst, they'll think, yeah, that guy's a little religious, you know. But at the best, they'll listen, especially when it's presented in the right time and the right way when you share it. Um, it's also powerful. Now, by powerful, I don't mean that we have to sensationalize anything. You know, in the 70s and 80s, it's really cool to talk about, you know, have a testimony where you were the high priest of Baal and, you know, that you were a drug addict and, you know, all this stuff and you were in the, you know, the, you know, gangs and, you know, all of this and, and God saved you from it. And when you go to your coworkers, like, I was a high priest of Baal and I was in a gang and I did drugs and Jesus changed my life. They're like, whoa, <laughs> stay off the Kool-Aid, man. <laughs> the thing is, is that most people don't relate to that. So those kind of over-sensationalistic testimonies, they only speak to Christians and only a section of Christians, probably. The average person is not a high priest of Baal. They don't care that you're a high, you were a high priest of Baal. The average person struggles with marital problems, boredom, uh, ther- uh, sense of significance in the world, materialism, stuff like that. When you share that that was the struggle in your life, they will listen, 
not sensational, but it's true. And the truth is what's powerful. Let's just take a minute and we're going we're gonna to walk down through this. By the way, this is, we're going to write out how to understand our story. By the way, this is at fiveclicks.com. It's written here. I definitely want all of you to go home, look at fiveclicks.com. It helps you do this a little better than we're going to do it. It's run by a ministry that's over here in Los Gatos. I met the owner or president or CEO or whatever of that ministry, uh, and so I know it's a good one. Let's do this how to understand your story. Okay, first of all, here's what we're going to do. What I want you to do is just fill in some descriptors at each of these three blanks. So keep in. You're gonna, I'm going to stop talking here. You're going to start writing, okay? Um, if you are seeker here this morning, just think about this issue of how it relates to you. Um, number one, before God, my life was what? Okay, don't be sensationalistic, but just pick something. You know, pick, to, uh, how did you feel before you had a relationship with God? Were you materialistic? Were you selfish? Did you have lots of uh, problems with your family? Did, 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 you, did you have anger? Did you hate the world? Did, what was it that, that when you think about your life before Jesus and you're thankful that Jesus came into your life, that God made a difference in your life, what is the thing that you are most thankful is no longer in your life? Just take about 30 seconds to go ahead and fill it out. Rick, somebody wake him up. We'll do jumping jacks after the next section here. YMCA. All right. Okay, I know that wasn't YMCA. Don't laugh at me. Before God, my life was what? Before life, before God, my life was what? What are some things, fill out some descriptors of the way your life was before God. What is some of the negative aspects of the way your life was before God? Before God, my life was what? Maybe, you know, I was struggled with a substance. Maybe I struggled with pride. Maybe I struggled with, uh, you know, being abusive. Maybe I struggled with just... I had no significance in my life. Maybe I struggled. Maybe I struggled with all those things. Before God, my life was what? Everyone fill it out. Go ahead. Okay, B. When I heard about God's gift, I did what? What was your reaction to hearing about God's gift? You know, maybe, maybe you felt free. Maybe you got excited. Maybe you felt like for the first time there was reason to life. Maybe you felt like that this, you know, that wow, I mean, my life starts to make sense now. Just write in there what your reaction was to hearing about God's gift. Take a moment and write what your reaction was to God's gift. Before I heard about God's gift, I what? Everyone writing? I'm going to be like a teacher. I've never been a teacher, but you know, pencils ready, get going, right? What do they say? Anybody teaching here? No. I'm sure there is. C. After God came into my life, I what? This should be a descriptor of how you feel now, how you are now that God has came into your life. Maybe you no longer have burdens that you had before. Maybe you experience joy that you never had before. Maybe you have security knowing that God is in control of your life. Maybe it could be other things. Take about 30 seconds to fill this one out here. After God came into my life, I, whatever, I had joy, I... You know, I, I had peace. My, my life was different. I, I, I get along with my family better. Okay, now here, here's how this works. Let me use materialism. I used that in first service. Let me use materialism as an example, okay? So let's say you go to coffee, 
with uh, someone. Someone says, hey, man, can I go to coffee with you? You're like, hey, hmm, you know, this is an opportunity to share, and I'm going to make this opportunity. I'm going to take this opportunity. So you go to coffee with that person, and they're telling you all about their life, and it's awesome. You're listening because you love them, and you're praying. You're like, God, open their hearts. Get them ready because I want to be able to tell them what, what you've done, and then you're waiting for your moment, and they're like, yeah, but my life is just, I mean, dude, I'm just struggling. I just really am not where I want to be in my career with my family. And then you say, can I share something with you? And they say, sure. And you say, well, you know, before God, my life was very materialistic. I was really worried about the dollar. I was really worried about money. I was really worried about how I was going to pay for things. I was really worried about satisfying my material desires. But then, you know what? One time I went to church. Someone told me about what God had done for me. I heard about God's gift. And, you know, I feel really relieved because I realized that because of what God did, I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to be focused on material things. I mean, my life is not defined by how much I have. And after God came into my life, after I accepted him, I mean, I had a newfound sense of freedom and peace because I didn't allow the materialistic stuff to interfere with my life anymore. I felt peace for the first time in a long time, and I still do. I'm free from that. No way, man. That's not what they're going to say. What are they going to say to that? The average person is going to be like, cool, seriously. Some people will be like, well, yeah, maybe that will work for you. But no one's going to reject you. And believe me, even the person that says, I'm not really listening, I can tell you what. When you're, if you, in love, testify to what God has done in your life, they are listening. Even if they pretend they're not, they are listening. Why? Because if they don't have God, they're desperate for something more in their lives. They know that life is just not living and dying and making a buck, and that's it. 90-some percent of people. And when you share with them, that doesn't mean, because it's a process, it doesn't mean they're going to be like, dude, what you got, I want it. A few people will. But most people will take what you share, and they're going to think about it. They're going to think about it. And maybe they'll say, yeah, you know, wow, that's, that's a, man, that's, I wish God would do that in my life. And you know what? And you say, he can. Now, you may say at that point, hey, come with me to church. And they'll be like, dude, I'm not going to church. Or maybe you, you hit on to step three. By the way, I forgot to mention in the first one, um, but I'll mention it here now, is that you want to avoid religious language, right? So under invite them to church, I forgot to mention what's avoid. It's the same thing here. Like I put, come thou to the Lord's house to be justified and sanctified by his holy font of hesed. So throw in a, a, a Hebrew word just to make it good, right? We don't want to invite people that way. We don't want to share our story that way. Don't do it in, a, in language either. Don't go, come thou to the Lord's house to be justified and sanctified by his holy font of hesed, right? Because that is not going to work either. Listen, if you speak to a person in Chinese who speaks Vietnamese, they're not going to understand. If you speak to someone in church language, which, by the way, is a language, it's a dialect. If you speak to them in church language, they may not understand. You can't tell them that they need to be saved if they don't know what it means. Most people have no idea what that word means. Uh, you can fight with them and explain it to them. Better just to say exactly what God did for them. Better to just not use religious language and just speak to them and say, listen, God sent his son so that if we take hold of the gift of being free from all our mistakes and brokenness, that we can know God and be his friend. 
You know, by the way, in the original language, the orig- in the Bible, in the original Greek and Hebrew, it's not church language. It's not. It's just regular language. When, when they, there's no word church in the Bible. It says the assembly of the people of God basically is what it is. They say, come on to the, come on to the gathering of the people of God. That's what they're saying. And so these church language words don't work very well with people who don't speak church language. Thirdly, real quick, we're almost done. We're going to share God's story. This is the third way. Now, the advantage of this one is that it's most clear. It's the most clear, most clear, most clear, right? Because this is the one where you can be very clear about what, who God is, what he's done for them. The other advantage is it's really the best way of sharing, okay? But it's probably the hardest as well. But it is probably also the best. Here's the thing. How do we do this? We just simply have to understand also in 30 seconds, instead of explaining what God did in our life, just to be able to explain what God did for the world. That's all it is. There's four parts. You can break it down differently. First of all, there is a God, and he loves me. All right? Now, yeah, there'll be some people who say, "Uh, wait, stop right there. I don't believe in God. Okay, fine. All right? We'll talk about that in just a second. But most people, again, most people you talk to, the average person will be like, okay, I can buy that. Number two, we all make mistakes, do wrong, something along those lines, and miss God's plan for our lives. Okay. Now, again, the key here is to also be forthcoming and admit that you're broken and that you make mistakes and that you mess up all the time, too. Okay. Because people don't want to think that you're accusing them of being broken. But if we just are honest and tell people, look, I'm broken, you're broken, we all make mistakes. Again, most people will recognize that as being true. Why? I mean, they know it's true. God's word confirms it's true, but they will recognize it being true. Third, Jesus came to earth to take our penalty and fix our brokenness. Again, we want to try to avoid church language, right? Because if we talk about being justified and these things, nobody today has any idea. If we were to share with people 100 years ago or 150 years ago here in America, what we tell them, hey, come and be justified by the blood of Jesus. Well, you know what? They will probably understand basically what you mean. But if you say that now, they have no idea. No idea. So you have to be simple. You have to just tell them that, look, Jesus, who is God's son, came to earth, sent by God, and he, when he died, he took away our mistakes because he paid the penalty for our mistakes. Instead of us paying for him, he paid that penalty. And that if we, when, when we do that, when we, when we accept his gift, that it repairs our brokenness. It fix our li- fixes our lives. And lastly, we must take hold of God's free gift of Jesus and do the I do thing to God that we have to commit our lives to this. Now, here's the thing. This should not be a long and complicated thing. Just like we can, in 30 seconds, tell someone what God did in our lives, we can also, in 30 seconds, tell people what God has done for them. Just with a little bit of practice and a little bit of forethought, a little bit of preparation. So maybe you're at, bre- at coffee with someone, and you tell them what God had done restoring you from materialism. They're like, whoa, you know? And they say, well, yeah, I wish I had your... You know, sometimes people say this to me. That they'll say, I, well, I wish I had your faith. Say, well, let, let me tell you what the Bible says about faith. I mean, the Bible just says that God loves us and, and wants to be our friend. And that because we make mistakes and screw up and we've broken people, that we sort of get separated from that. And that to, to ease that separation that God sent this guy, Jesus, which you probably heard of, his, his son to come. And when he came, he died. And his death removes our mistakes and our brokenness and sets us right with God so that we can be a friend of his again. But the key of all that is, is that we've got to just turn our lives over to God and say, I do, and accept that free gift. Is that something you can do today? 
Well, generally it's a process, so they may say no, or they may say I've got to think about it. That's usually what most people say. But you know what? Every one of you who is a believer here today have the power to do that. It's simple. It's easy. And by the way, most people are not going to be like, what? Don't tell me this religious stuff. They're not going to do it. They might say, well, that's, you know, that's for you. It's not for me. You know, or I'm Buddhist, or I'm this or that. But it doesn't mean they're not listening, and it doesn't mean you failed. Because God's simple call is for you to be an ambassador, a goodwill ambassador to other people. Listen, real quickly as we finish up. So here's two things to avoid. First, about worrying about the response. Your job is not to make people right with God. That is God's job, okay? Your job is simply to tell people what God has done for them or for you with them. That's all, okay? Pray about it, speak to them, love them, but their decision has to be their own. If we make them choose or we convince them of it, it is not real. They have to choose it for themselves. We worry about the response, and we are doing what? We take away God's right to call people as he chooses. Secondly, don't get into debates, okay? Because you may say, look, there's a God, and then the guy's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about UFOs? Wait a minute, okay? What about evolution, right? Here's the thing. My opinion, if you get into a debate about it, they're going to sidetrack you. People do it for two reasons. Number one, they honestly are concerned about UFOs or evolution or whatever. Or number two, they just want to sort of tease you and see how far they can take you down the road, okay? If they just want to tease you, then say, well, you know, I'm not going to debate that. Let's just talk about God because God is the one that's really important here. Then they'll be like, no, come on, come on, let's debate. And you can say, well, okay, I can see you're not really, you know, let's just talk about it later, whatever. Because there's no point in forcing to tell them it if they're not open to it, okay? There's no point in debating it. Now, here's the thing. Some people are going to ask out of genuine curiosity because they've heard about evolution and they're going to say, well, if evolution's true, I don't see how God's true. And in that situation, I always say something like, look, you weren't there. I weren't there. There's lots of different theories. And to me, it doesn't even really matter which theory is right or wrong at this point. What it, I know to be true is that God has the power to change your life. So I can only explain to you what God has done in getting us right with him. I can't explain dinosaurs i don't know okay so my opinion just you take it for what it's worth but let's talk about what god can do in your life because by the way evolution can't change your marriage can't make you have a happy life it doesn't it's not relevant at that point okay now some people again will, will they'll be like yeah you're right some people will want to take you down the primrose path don't 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 not love them because again they just you know just seeing but don't there's no point in getting into debates about those things because you it, it's not going to be productive so stay focused on what god has done for them there's one truth that we know which is god loves people and wants to redeem them that's all the part it's one state i know it's an and there but it's one thing that's what god wants to do we know that whether or not there was dinosaurs on the ark whatever nobody knows none of us were there so there's no point in going down that argument okay and, and there's scientists on every side of every issue, even, you, I mean, I can find a scientist within five minutes who believes UFOs are here and in our bodies right now, okay, which I don't believe, okay, but it doesn't matter because God is still able to redeem, okay, so all those things don't get involved in those kind of discussions. Okay, so we're going to take two or three questions here real quick at the end. Uh, Vanna is ready and standing by. 
How many of you, who has a question? Question, question, question. Question about sharing with other people. Ask a couple questions. Question, question, question. Anyone? I know the first one's always scary. Always scary. And everyone's thinking, lunch, lunch, lunch. We're going to be done just here quick. We'll let you out early. Don't worry. I mean, we'll, we'll, you don't have to stay through all the, the last song if you want to. We'll di- dismiss you at the beginning of the last song. Any questions? You guys, you, guys are, you guys are more shy than first service? Wow. Sort of surprised by that. Are you guys just really locked? You, you, you know, the, the, the discussion was so clear that you're ready to go out. What do you think? All right, all right. I don't believe all of you that you don't. None of you have questions, but you can always email me if you have questions as well. Or maybe the hunger is is getting to you. All right, thank you, Vanna's. All right, let's go ahead and pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for today, Lord, that we can come and worship you. Father, I pray that you will put it on the hearts of all of us to go out and be a part of communicating your truth to other people. Father, may we be motivated to do that very thing. Father, I pray that you would just give everyone here the, the, the huge blessing of seeing someone come to know Jesus um, in their lifetime. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.